0: Meanwhile, um, uh, your comments are really coming through regarding Simon there. Uh, What a wonderful human being Simon is. I've got floods of tears listening to that story. The good side of people in a very dark time. Pat from Palmerston North says, Wallace and the Wednesday panel, thank you so very much for letting me listen to Simon, the rescuer from England. I cried as he told of his encounters with... The people of Ukraine. And Another one. Thank you for today's interview with Simon. I can't help watch the horrors unfolding and think about other tumours turmoils around the world that haven't had the same airplay. Humans really are a strange mixed bag of lollies. So that interview, if you didn't catch it, will be online separately. Uh, rnz.co.nz dot dot nz. Now, on a complete different and really, let's face it, just a to- totally lighter note. I wanted to bring this up. It's called the three minute rule. The scientific way to tackle your most hated chores. Psychologists say the secret to stop procrastinating over tasks you dislike is to do them for a few minutes. Could it work? The rule is pretty simple. If you have a chore you're in danger of putting off, try doing it for just three minutes. The first three minutes will snap you out of an avoidance mindset, according to the psychologist Dr. Jennifer Wilde. So, three minutes quickly becomes six minutes or nine, and mostly before you know it, the task is done. So, I just want to go around the panel on this. And does this resonate with you, doing a chore for three minutes? And what is your most hated chore? I told you mine, it was dusting. But what is yours, Anadine?
1: I have to say, my most hated chore is uh, mowing the lawn. And. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this because I was like, gosh, if I spent three minutes, um, what that would actually require is getting the lawnmower out, trying to get it started, and then pushing it a short distance. And if I had actually bothered to do that and managed to get it started and underway, yes, I probably would actually follow through and take the hour that it takes to, you know, mow the mow the whole lawn. But um, it's just the point. Before getting to that three minutes, um, I yeah, it's I guess no, I mean, with something like that, the, it's the lawn it's just getting gets longer and longer, <laughs> it's,
0: <laughs> it's it's even getting to the first second. Text yeah. us 2101, the most hated chore lawn mowing, dusting, <laughs> Martin of Thomas.
2: I'm really bad at looking after my car and I don't mm. vacuum. Or it as much as I really should so you know there are those people who every Saturday morning you see them out washing the car cleaning vacuuming sparkling buffing polishing and I'm not one of those people and I really think I should be because you know a car is quite an expensive little thing to have sitting in a garage um they, actually, then when I do finally get onto it I do an amazing job and I, I really get into it but actually the thought of doing it uh it's just one of those things which I have a big big
0: block doing yeah so what do you do then? Do you do you get someone to do it or do you just sort of uh, bite no, the bullet and
2: do It's a waste of money to spend to get someone to do it before I can do it myself, but then I, I just don't do it myself. But then I will have these mad sort of, you know, maybe twice a year go but bit crazy and, and wash it within an inch of its life. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone yeah.
0: says, my most hated chore is cleaning the inside of the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is interesting Uh, indeed Well thank you very much for your feedback And uh, mm, uh, a job begun (laughs) Is a job half done Uh, Dolly pardon, does not need The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame She is a great fit For the Country Music Hall of Fame The Doobie Brothers are huge 50 years of rock They are well overdue Uh, in the correct Hall of Fame. No doubt, surely. What more could they do? Well, I don't know. I think that Dolly Parton should be in uh, every Music Hall of Fame there is. She is so extraordinary. That's my uh, viewpoint on that. Anyway, uh, it is uh, 20 to 5. The panel, are international. Nice to have you company. This from the ABC. Three men who were holding up numbers, rating female joggers out of 10 as they ran past on a public beach, had been called out by a woman who filmed the encounter Elizabeth was running on the beach in Scarborough on Saturday when she saw the men sitting on deck chairs and holding up little whiteboards as women ran past she said well she stew, she stewed on excuse me she stewed on it for a bit and the rest of the run because I didn't really take it all in at the time and then on the way back they did it again and gave me another rating out of 10 so she mm. decided to confront them
3: do you know how uncomfortable that makes people feel sorry do you, th- do you know how uncomfortable that makes people feel i'm just i'm just rating women me. as they run past i'm hiding my phone. you know you're gonna go
0: viral uh, oh hell yeah <laughs> do your workplaces and families mind sexist yeah the
2: boys yes yeah, yeah. i'm a feminist <laughs>
0: And viral it went with us now to discuss is RMIT Professor Nicola Henry, who saw the story and thought we, uh, it would be nice to get her view here. Professor Henry is an expert on legal and preventative responses to sexual violence and harassment. Professor Henry, welcome to the panel on International. National. Um, good afternoon, lad. Explain a bit more for us. I mean, what shapes this sort of behaviour from these guys? I mean, you heard that there.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. So thank you for having me on your show. Um, look, I think it is kind of complex. Um, we don't really know what the motivations were behind uh, these three men rating the attractiveness of women as, as they jogged past on this Perth beach. However, uh, what we can say really is about um, some of the kind of, I guess, performance of gender is probably a good way to think about this. Um, that these. Um, that that people perform their gender and sometimes they do that um, as a form of social capital. So they're trying to impress their peers. Um, They're trying to perform their gender in a way to um, consolidate their identity as a masculine identity, Uh, that they, you know, um, those kind of markers of manhood, for instance, might be things like occupation, wealth, physicality, and also sexual prowess. And I think in this particular case, from watching the video and thinking through this um, particular example, which is one of many uh, that are happening around this type of behaviour, is really that um, there's a kind of, to me, it seems like an incapacity to think about how these women would feel being rated as they jog along the beach. So really, to me, it seems like a lack of critical thinking and um, adherence to some really kind of problematic um, beliefs and attitudes about uh, women.
0: Yeah, now some people would argue for laws against uh, street harassment, such as the likes of wolf-whistling whist- wolf verbal abuse. Uh, is it time to have that discussion around this sort of thing, Nicola?
3: Yeah, look, in um, Australia, and I think it's a similar situation to New Zealand, um, we have sexual harassment legislation. So in Australia it's under anti-discrimination law, which is a civil um Law as opposed to criminal, and so what that means is that if someone um, uh, experiences an unwelcome sexual advance or an unwelcome request for sexual favours, or any other unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature that's offensive, humiliating, or intimidating, they can have recourse under. Uh, the anti-discrimination sexual harassment laws in Australia. However, they have to occur in a specified area of public life, so it could be the workplace, a school or a university. So what the gap is in our laws at the moment is that in a public place, like at a um, at a beach or uh, walking down the street, if there's some kind of form of public sexual harassment that's not in the workplace, it's not in a school, that's not in a university then under Australian law, that wouldn't constitute sexual harassment. It doesn't mean that it isn't sexual harassment. I think that this is a good example of sexual harassment. But there are some gaps in the laws and there's some big debates about whether or not we should actually have um, better sexual harassment laws in public places.
0: Yeah, Okay. Now, Nicola, we've got a um, panel with us. Uh, Anna Dean, your thoughts, your, your comments, questions on this?
1: Well, my first thought was "How brave of that woman for for calling them out and, and going back yeah. and getting her her phone out um, because I mean as a woman, you often do come across these kinds of circumstances, and often you don 't know how to respond and you know often your first response is to laugh it off or you know these ridiculous um outdated ideas that boys are just being boys and things like this but what we actually need is more men to be this brave and to call each other out and to recognize this i was looking at a posting of the video online and i saw a a post from a mother who said this is my local beach Um, and my 14 year old daughter and her friend walk along this very path every day and that this is essentially rape culture and it needs to stop and it's really important, I mean, rather than, I mean, gosh, it's, it's crazy that it doesn't exist in public places, that there are rules around this. But I've, I mean, I've heard about women being rated um, in workplaces by their male colleagues. And it's like, come on, it's 2022. Can we please just move on from these um, outdated stereotypes about masculinity? It's really boring and it's um, dangerous.
0: Nicola?
3: Yeah, thank, thanks so much Anna. I totally agree and I, I it was something that I was thinking about as well as the, um, the The bravery of the woman who called it out and filmed mm. them and, and went to the media And I think what we're really talking about here is I guess a bystander um, effect um, People stepping in people in the community stepping in and saying something and doing something and it actually can be really difficult Because you can experience mm. backlash. You can experience resistance and violence um, if you do speak about out about stuff And I think um, in terms of um, other men, I think that that's where it can be really powerful in peer groups because the peer groups is so influential on the behaviour of the the members of the peer group. And it does take a lot for a person to kind of say, hey, that's not cool, Um, you know, that's uh, really objectifying or really um, offensive what you're doing. Um, but it does take that, and I think that that's you know there's a lot of research that's kind of been focused on the bystander effect. And um, absolutely, yeah, it's it's really awful. And it, I, I just wanted to say, Anna, that you may recall that you know kind of origins of Facebook uh, were that um, you know women were rated. Yes. and that's kind of how absolutely. Facebook started. Absolutely. So we've got yeah. we do have a, 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 a you know
0: long history of this. Um, okay. Right, uh, Mark.
2: To me, that is looked like dinosaurs, and they obviously didn't grow up with a mother or sisters like I did, because they would have been, that been no, no uncertain terms, you know what they can or couldn't do. Um, generally, do you think, uh, sorry, Nicola, as, as a rule, do you think things like this, is our society getting better or worse in terms of this sort of behaviour?
0: What's the trend?
3: Yeah, um... Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, look, I look on the, on the one hand, I think that there's greater awareness, and there definitely is in Australia more recently in relation to um, sexual harassment and sexual violence in Australian workplaces and legal professions, and particularly more recently in Australian politics and Parliament. So we are seeing better awareness. Um, there have been, um, and I'm assuming the same in New Zealand as well, that there's been. Um, measurement of community attitudes towards violence against women and sexual violence and gender equality. And we have seen in the Australian context, at least with the National Community Attitude Survey, that there has been um, some encouraging results where more Australians um, support gender equality, more Australians have a better knowledge about violence against women and don't endorse violence against women. But unfortunately, we still see a lot of very concerning attitudes about uh, gendered violence and gender equality. Um, some people in the population still believe that gender inequality is exaggerated or it's no longer a problem. Um, there's still attitudes that condone violence against women. Um, and one of the findings from this national community um, attitude Survey back in 2017, which is the most recent one in the Australian context, is that one in five Australians said they wouldn't be bothered if a male friend told a sexist joke about a woman. So I think, um, yes, there has been massive change. and We can't neglect to celebrate that, but I don't think we should be complacent in thinking that um, we're, we've, you know, we've come to gender equality and that we're no yeah. longer endorsing these problematic views. We still do, and there's still a lot more work that needs to be done.
0: There, must, there certainly is, Nicola. We're getting quite a bit of response on this one, actually, and uh, please, we welcome with views of all types. Uh, Wallace, my daughter was at after-school sport and met up with a group of young schoolboys who suggested she should get naked. When told to get lost, they yelled obscenities at her. Uh, And there are themes coming through on this, Nicola, so clearly uh, a lot more work to do.
3: Mm -hmm. That's right,
0: yeah. Lovely to have you on. Thank you, Professor Professor Henry uh, from uh, RMIT. Just final thoughts on this, Mark.
2: Yeah, we almost need a campaign, sort of, you know, call it out, a call it out campaign. So that sort of resonates with people, whether it's on sexual harassment or homophobia or racism, whatever it is. So people feel emboldened and empowered to call things out because I think, um, you know, it's great when people do, but as as Anna said, that you know, if if a man had called that out, that would have been so much more powerful um, than than you know, that brave woman doing it. But I think maybe a campaign around calling it out, because you know it's it's just it's two thousand and twenty two. For God's sake, come on.
0: Ten to five. The panel NZ National. Now, in the wake of COVID, we've been all celebrating frontline workers and acknowledging the important services they provide. But has that acknowledgement extended? to supermarket workers, given most earn less than the current living wage of $22.75 an hour. Living wage, oh, it's, you know, New Zealand argues that. No, it's not. Uh, so we thought we'd get a regional voice on this uh, with South Canterbury living wage spokesperson Julian Mays. Julian, kia ora, nice to have you on.
4: Joe sure, Wallace,
0: nice to be here. It just struck me that we spend a lot of time, uh, including here on the panel and other shows, actually going, "Oh gosh, supermarket workers, you know what a great job they're doing, such like, such like, and uh, the front line." And then, hang on, um, pay hasn't got better. Correct. So that's one thing maybe to uh, look at. So your advocacy group reached out to South Canterbury supermarkets to discuss the living wage. What response did you get?
4: Uh, virtually no response, Wallace. One, um, one supermarket replied to say that as part of a national chain, the local manager didn't have the power to fix rates. So I asked him by email, because I got an email from him, I asked him, well, who should we talk to? No reply. The other supermarkets didn't reply at all. Uh, hence,
0: uh, when at the- all. Zilch. Zilch response. That's right.
4: But our door's open, Wallace. We would like to talk to them.
0: <laughs> do you think, I guess you do, I was going to ask you, think, do, we, do you think we undervalue the work these employees do? Oh, yeah, sure.
4: I mean, uh, particularly during COVID, they were lauded as being frontline workers and keeping food supplies up to to all of us uh, through the country. Um, Some of them, I think, may have got a little bit extra during the first lockdown, but um, my understanding is that lapsed. By and large, many of them uh, earn less than the living wage. Uh,
0: They're low-paid workers,
4: and we depend on them.
0: The low pay workers and we depend on the Mark knopf Thomas. What do you reckon?
4: Yeah, I,
2: well, I think there's going to be, as I said earlier in the program, I think there's going to be all kinds of upward pressure on wages across the board. I think we're going to see a lot of movement in the um, in the employment side of things in the workforce, and people will ultimately vote with their feet. and I think somebody's going to break. I think there's a bit of like a, a deadlock at the moment with some of the larger players, and someone's going to have to shift because the one that does shift is going to get all the staff. and I think that's some would say
0: though, Mark, I mean, hey, uh, look at the Look at the profits that the geopoly is making, not their concern, uh upward pressures. What they want is a decent wage they can live. They've been on the front line for all these months, years. They need a bit of a hand up.
2: Yeah, I mean, God, you know, without the, the, the support of the supermarket workers over the last two years, where would we be? And you can see even now, um, with Omicron surging through the country, how, how much pressure they're under, and how, you know, there's so many people out of the workforce because they're sick or isolating. Um, but I think one of the big players is going to have to budge because um, this, this it's unsustainable the way it is now. And whoever does budge is going to just when they get all the get all the staff.
0: All right, the um, stay, stay the journey. Anna. Let's bring you in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's particularly interesting in in rural areas where you have um, generally one supermarket um, that is available. And it was really interesting in the first lockdown. um, Yes, yes, a lot of supermarkets gave their staff a 10 percent increase, but that that did that did end quite quickly. And, um, I mean, in Takaka, for example, there's, there's one. And over this period of time, usually people would uh, go over the hill to Nelson, they'd shop and pack and save and things like that. So they had a whole range of uh, shopping opportunities. And the very least that uh, that local supermarket could do um, is actually consider uh, giving a minimum wage for their workers. They've been under constant stress. They've been getting harassed from people who don't want to wear masks for two years now. Um, you know, they they were working away while we were all uh, safely in our houses. And I think it's very much the least that uh, these owners could be doing, especially when they've been experiencing such massive profits.
0: All right, so Anadine in there. Julian is calling for a, um, a living wage for a supermarket workers. Um, so final thoughts. Uh, you're still hoping that you're, you'll get a response from those emails or those calls? You're still hoping yeah. uh, for that? yeah.
4: I think we're likely. Well, we've gone. We've gone public. We've said publicly we'd love to talk to them. We will probably approach them again and say, "Come on, come and meet us." We only want to encourage you. We want to talk to you about it. Talk about the pros and cons of paying people decently. There are advantages uh, in doing it, and we'll see what mm-hmm. progress
0: we can make. All right, I hope we can. Uh, can, can
4: I just ask? You a quick
0: yeah, sure. On oh, no, continue? no, because we're we're really running out of time. So sorry, Anna, because we've got our next person. Waiting in the wings in the green room, as they say. That's Julia Mays there from uh, uh, Living Wage. And I do want to get to this. Um, With Cabinet's announcement that they would cut fuel taxes came the decision to also halve the cost of public transport for three months from the 1st of April. Uh, And it certainly was a... uh, It it raised eyebrows. A lot of people were happy. A lot of people sort of questioned it. But public public transport advocates, they're thrilled with the decision, so we thought we might bring along Ryan Hooper-Smith, a spokesperson for the Free Fares campaign, who's with us now. Ryan, welcome.
5: Kia ora, Wallace, thanks for having me.
0: Half price public transport—you must have had a party.
5: Oh, absolutely! It was honestly a fantastic announcement to hear. Um, obviously, the fuel excise tax cut we were expecting, um, because that's kind of been lurking in the media for a couple of days. But public transport half price—honestly, it was it was amazing to hear.
0: Do you think, what would you like the government to do? Do you want them to go further? That's what you want.
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So basically we are calling on the government to provide free fares, particularly towards low-income people, so under twenty-five tertiary students and community services card cardholders. Um, we know that the cost of living is really, really high, particularly for these groups, and so we want to see the government provide long-term support for them um, by giving them an opportunity to not only save some money into their back pocket that they can spend on food, rent and energy, but also give them an opportunity to reduce their emissions through something like public transport, which we
0: know is, is a really low emitting way well, of Well, let's go around the panel on this and see. Mark, do you use public transport at all or it wouldn't affect you?
2: Uh, no, I do. I, um, I use the train mostly more than the bus. Um, the trains because Newmarket's got a great train station to zip yeah. around, especially going CBD. Um, but no, I think this is great. I'm a huge fan of public transport. Auckland has the capacity to significantly ramp up the use of the patronage on our buses and trains. And of course, COVID's really sort of uh, put the kibosh on a lot of people's confidence to use the bus or train. It goes a hell of a long way to help deal with some climate issues. It goes a hell of a long way to make the city perform better. And for those who can't get public, catch public transport for whatever reason because of their Hours of their job, or they fact they, There's no public transport near them. Their experience on the roads will get better as well. So it's win-win-win.
0: Yeah, because you get a lot of condition, don't you? So you're speaking a uh, new market. So you you come you come from it on on that angle. Ryan, stay there. Anna.
1: Yeah, congratulations, Ryan. It's been such a fantastic thing to watch the Free Fares campaign. Um, I'm particularly interested in that kind of two world public transport model that seems to be getting more and more traction where um, e bike subscriptions are being considered for um, options of people as a way to get to work. And I heard about a, a pilot in Wainuiomata where 25 people were getting e bikes for six months. I thought that was um, genius. Do you think, I mean, my question is, do you think that free or uh, cheap public transport fares and, and low cost uh, e-bike subscriptions or things like that are going to be in this year's budget in May? Are we
5: hopeful of, of that kind of traction or what, what are you aiming for over the next while? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, we've we've kind of seen the government indicate that there's going to be some funding for public transport in Budget 22, and so we're really, really hoping that the government takes that extra step. You know, we're going to be handing over a petition tomorrow with 12,000 signatures. We've got 60 organisations backing us. We've got City Councils, Environment Canterbury, is proposing a two-year trial for free fares. So there's a lot of support for this, and I think that the government will recognise that, and we're really, really hoping that there's schemes like free fares... Um, like better e-bike accessibility and things like that for the wider public.
0: Briefly, you've got got 10 seconds. For those who don't use public transport and hate it, really hate (laughs) it, of which many are are, are texting in, doesn't apply to me, what would you say to them? How would you turn them around?
5: Ultimately, public transport is fantastic. You can use it. If, if you want to go into town and get a little, little bit drunk, you can do that. You can get home by using all public right. transport. Don't have to worry about driving. OK, it's Ryan, so good on you. Ways to
0: use it. All right. Cheers. Lord help me, after all these years, I finally agree with Wallace. Dolly, pardon for every Hall of Fame. Goodness. All right, Anna Dean, Mark Maltomilus, Thomas, ora you've been wonderful. Thank you. I'm Wallace Chapman, 3.45 tomorrow. I'm back. Checkpoint next.